Everything continued the same until Noah entered the ark. Then what happened? Destruction. Everything continued the same until Lot was taken out of the city. Then what happened? Brothers and sisters, get excited. Everything's going to continue the same until that trumpet blows and the rapture call has come down and you and I are taken from this earth and then all hell is going to break loose on earth. Now understand, it's just going to be chaos for a moment. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to conclude this series with a question that I want to pose to you, and it's a question that should be on the tip of our tongue every day of our lives, and that question is very simply, how close is the Lord's return? As I said from the beginning, I'm not here to, to advocate a date. Don't know one. No one knows the day or the hour. But I'm going to show you one video that was actually put together two years ago. And it's, it's a long video. It's about eight minutes long. But it's going to be an, a very incredible understanding of what they are doing over in Israel right now. Uh, I've been out on the internet just looking at the incredible things that are transpiring all for the purpose of the understanding that the Jews know the time is short. Now understand the Jews have not accepted Christ as their Messiah. But they, like the Christians, are looking for the Messiah. We are looking for the rapture. They are looking for His coming. They rejected him 2,000 years ago, most Jews, not all, okay? But yet God said they're my chosen people, and I am not going to leave them without a way of finding out who the Messiah is. Yes, the Jews have to get saved just like anybody else. The book of Romans teaches us that when we, when the Jews, excuse me, decide to look to Christ that he might be the Messiah, their eyes will be opened. But they have to look that direction first. Why? Because they rejected him 2,000 years ago. Are you with me today? God will make a way. Matter of fact, the scripture says that Israel will be saved. That does not mean every Jew on earth will be saved. But as you have heard me teach, and you have seen the scriptures pointing very incredibly and blatantly towards the entire tribulation is for the salvation of the Jews. It's not for the church. Where is the church going to be? 
Where's the church going to be? Oh, come on. You've got to get more excited than that. Where's the church going to be? We out of here. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, look what it says. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not enough just to go to church. It's not enough just to listen to a preacher preach or somebody give a sermon or some, some fanciful exegesis to come forth. It's not enough for that 45 minutes on Sunday morning. You need to open your Bible yourselves. People ask me, Pastor, I've, always tr- I've tried to read the Bible, and I start in Genesis, and man, once I get, once I get to, to the, you know, the, the Exodus, I mean, that's not too bad, because it tells me about you know, the, the, you know, the children of Israel and going across the sea, man, that was kind of cool. But then I, then I get over there to those, those other chap numbers, and, and Dominomini, and, uh, and, you know, and folks, let me, let me give you very clearly, write this down. I'll give you four books to read the very first when you read your Bible. Number one is read the book of John. Very simply, read the book of John. You say, Pastor, why do you read the book of John? Because it, out of all the scriptures, tell us the, very, the most clearest about who Jesus is. Then when you're done with John, go to the book of Romans. Just two books later, just go to the book of Romans. Say, Pastor, why, why Romans? Because it tells the most who we are. Then you, when you're done with Romans, go right back into the book in the middle of them called the book of Acts. It tells us the most about what we're supposed to do, the life we're supposed to live, the examples we're supposed to be, the testimonies we're supposed to live. And I can give you a whole breakdown after that, but those are, are great books to start with. Uh, read John, then go to Romans, then go to Acts. Uh, be a great place to start. But we are destroyed because we don't know what this book says. And when the lies come and the lies happen, which they do every day in our lives, but the Bible says coming up to that great and dreadful day, the lies are going to get worse. The deception is going to get incredible. Now let me take you into the book of Luke. We have danced in this passage since the beginning of this series. Luke 17, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In those days, there were banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered, Noah entered the ark and the flood destroyed them all. Then it goes on and says, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. And underline this in your notes. People going about their daily business. And then it repeats what it said in, about Noah. Eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and brimstone fell and destroyed them all. And underline this very last line. Yes, it will be business as usual until the day the Lord returns. Right up until that day. Now let me emphasize a couple things here. There's a sense of normalcy. I've talked to many folks in our church, say, Pastor Wood, you believe there's going to be chaotic times, there's going to be, you know, troubling times and, and difficult. Yes, the Bible says very clearly it's going to be before the rapture happens. 
But it's not going to be so much so that we're not going to accept it just as normal life. Are you with me? We're just going to think, well, okay, it's not as good as it was when I was a kid, but it's not as bad as it could be. We're going to be convinced that this is just life. People will go along business as usual until the day the Lord was revealed. Now look at this. Everything continued the same until Noah entered the ark. Then what happened? Destruction. Everything continued the same until Lot was taken out of the city. Then what happened? Brothers and sisters, get excited. Everything's going to continue the same until that trumpet blows and the rapture call has come down and you and I are taken from this earth and then all hell is going to break loose on earth. Now understand, it's just going to be chaos for a moment. So if you happen to stay behind, so I throw that out there, it'll just be chaotic for a moment. And then it'll be three plus years of absolute glory and what everybody's desired, what everybody's hoped for, peace on earth. But then literally in the mid point of the tribulation, all hell on earth will break loose. Say, Pastor, what's the best thing? Get out at the rapture. Have these words on your lips. How close is your return, Lord? And live like you believe it's today. Amen? Amen. Albert Einstein said these words. He said, the world is a dangerous place to live. Not because of people who are evil, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. Life will be going on just as normal until the day he enters the ark. Number one in your notes quickly, signs of the times are everywhere. And I ask this question very purposely. I've actually had, in the last two years of doing this series, every year I update it. And this year has just been a little more intense than last year. How many know before Jesus comes, it's going to get a little more intense? I've actually had people that are not coming back to our church because they said, Pastor, this is too hard to hear. Who can hear it? Ladies and gentlemen, look at me, please. If you can't hear it, it's only because you're not going. You can't judge my heart. I'm not. This should not build fear. This should build faith. Should build excitement. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the Bible says that God's going to shorten those days because of all the fearful things that are coming upon this world. The hearts of men are going to start failing them. But understand, you and I don't have to be fearful as those that have no hope. The Bible says that when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. So underline this, please. The signs of the times are everywhere. Are we wanting to see them. A lot of people ask me, Pastor, what's different from today than any other day? Well, today I'm going to give you a timeline. Uh, you know, why is the Lord's return any closer than it has been? I'm going to give you a timeline that hopefully will help us to see. Human ne- technology is increasing at a pace that most can barely keep up with. Yet societal ethics and moral beliefs are declining at even a faster pace. I get news articles every single day. They had a news article 
How many know Black Friday? That's why I'm wearing black. Black Friday continues. I thought it was a good idea, Bill. It was. Yeah, okay. They had a Black Friday special at an abortion clinic in the Midwest. If you came in on Friday between 10 and 2, they gave you a discount. It was in the newspaper in the Midwest. Morals, ethics declining at unprecedented pace. Most people fail to see the correlation between the generation of Noah, the generation of Lot, and our generation. But the Bible says that all continued to advance and develop even in their time. They builded, they bought, they sold, they farmed. Everything was increasing. Business was doing well. But morals and ethics were increasingly declining. Even to the place in the days of Noah, God said it, it, it troubled him that he even made man. In the days of Lot, Abraham was talked to. He and God were talking. And Abraham said, God, your heart is not to destroy. What if there's 50 righteous? And God said, well, if there's 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. And we know the story got all the way down to 10. And God said, if there's 10 righteous... See, God's heart in the book of Ezekiel said, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But God's heart is that people everywhere would repent. Because of the decay and the immorality that is being perpetrated in the world we live in. All of this has been spoken since the beginning. And in our society, we look around Man, you watch the TV commercials. Golly, I see more cotton in a cotton bottle than I do in, in some of these people's clothing. You, you, you see these commercials and you say, oh, well, okay. So I've got Victoria's Secret right in front of my kids. Oh, that's cool. My wife and I went to the mall yesterday. And, I, you know, I'm walking down. We went by, by Jeff and Lucinda's nut shop. They, what's it called? London Nut Shop? Old World Nuts. If you haven't been to the mall and saw, they had those caramelized, I'm going to start drooling, pecans and almonds. and Anyway, I was there, and I had a small bag. They had big bags, but I had a small bag. I was disciplined, wasn't I, Jeff? Right across from their place, or close down to it, is Victoria's Secret. And I commented to my wife, I said, you would never have had those pictures in this mall 30 years ago. You would have never had those pictures in this mall probably 20 years ago. But yet today, I mean, my goodness, it's right out there in blatant public. So let me look at some things that are spoken of since the beginning and bring them in to the time we live. Daniel chapter 4, chapter 12. The Bible says, and people ask, well, Pastor, what makes everything so much different? Look what, look what God told Daniel. Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. The time when many will travel to and fro here and there, and knowledge will increase. Up until last century, you could not barely go across the oceans except by boat. Now you can cross the world in a couple hours, in three or four hours. 
You can pick up these nice little cell phones that we talked about the other day. And you can literally watch anything going on at any time, anywhere in the world instantaneously. Does it sound like knowledge has increased? Does it sound like people can just do whatever they want to do? Let's go to Revelation. This is one of the things that could not have happened up until just about 30 years ago. Not even 30 years ago, 10 years ago with the, with the uh, advent of the, of the handheld uh, Help me out. Smartphone. I tell people all the time, what do you do when you have a smartphone? You're a dumb person. It just... Look what it says here. Revelation 11. For three and a half days, talking about in the middle of the tribulation, people, uh, tribulation period, every people, every tribe, every lang- language, every nation will gaze upon the bodies. What bodies? The bodies of the two witnesses that have been tormenting the Antichrist for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. The Bible says that they're going to be killed. And they're going to be refused to be buried because the Antichrist wants to use them as an example. And look what it says. The inhabitants of the earth. You notice it doesn't say the inhabitants of Israel or Jerusalem or this state or that state or this country. It says the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other's gifts that these two prophets who have tormented those who live on the earth are now dead. Ladies and gentlemen, that was not possible up till just a few years ago. Flip up that little smartphone. You can pull up the news in Tel Aviv right now. You can pull up the news in Moscow right now. Watch it in real time. Matthew 24, people say, well, pastor, doesn't the Bible say that? Well, let me just read it. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. And then the end will come. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not a nation on earth that does not have communication. I don't care if they have a single telegraph line ran. With the advent of satellite technology, every nation in the world has the gospel being preached today. That wasn't possible just a few years ago. Are you with me? What makes it any different today than it ever has been? Because these scriptures could not have been fulfilled. Now they are. Somebody say amen. Amen. I expect when we're done today, we're going to have some excited people. Number two in your notes quickly. So what are the signs that tell us how close we are to this end of the age? Well, the first sign that really jumps out and was really the catalyst for everything else was May 15th. Some people say May 12th of 1948 when Israel was restored as a nation. The Bible says very plainly in the book of Isaiah that in a day, in an hour, a nation will be restored. And that's exactly what happened in 1948. The panorama of end-time prophecy came into focus like never before. Israel was the catalyst and the instigator that started, if you will, the doomsday clock. 
That clock we all know about. Oh, and let me tell you something. It's not going to be December 21st in case you're planning. That's the first day of winter. So that's okay. So don't get wigged out about it. Say, Pastor, how do you know? Because the Bible says. Israel today is the thermometer of Middle East unrest. Ladies and gentlemen, look at me for just a second. This has never been a war of good and bad. This has never been a war of right and wrong. This has never been a war of one nation against another nation. This has been a conflict that established thousands of years ago between two brothers, half-brothers, I should say, Isaac and Ishmael. It is the same war that has transpired over thousands of years. Over almost four millennia, it has transpired, and God is in the heart of it. It is the battle between Ishmael and Isaac, the son of promise, who is Isaac, and the son of bondage, who is Ishmael. And the entire world is captivated by the son of bondage. Now listen to me. We just had last week dozens and hundreds of missiles blowing up Israel. Do you notice the media all talked about how poor and sad off Gaza was? All the emphasis was on the poor Palestinians. Did you know there was not a Palestinian people until just a, about 100 years ago? There was not an Islamic nation until about 1,400 years ago. Palestine is not a biblical nation. Now, I'm going to get some people irritated. I'm not against anybody. I want everybody to, to have a homeland. It's just they can't have God's land. Let me, let me, I'm going to take you to a scripture that's going to blow your mind uh, in just a moment. But understand that the land of Israel was a promised land given to the Jews, but it doesn't belong to them. You know who it belongs to? It belongs to God. It's God's chosen people in God's chosen land. So guess what? It ain't theirs to give away. And God outlined it. And the Gaza Strip, the Golan Heights, the West Bank, are all part of Israel. Pastor, are you a proponent of Israel? You bet I am. And the minute the church fails to back Israel, the church is in bad shape. The psalmist writes some very scary words that God will take every nation down into hell that comes against Israel. That's not popular preaching, but it is the word of God. When this gospel is preached in all the world, the end will come. How do we know it's the end? Israel has been 
renewed as a nation. And the Islamic Zionist war has exploded worldwide. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the, it is the jihadist Islamic war that caused 9-11. It is the jihadist Islamic war that has caused many of the chaotic things that have happened all around the world. I was supposed to preach a pastor's conference. It used to be called Bombay, India. Now it's called Mumbai. While I was there, I, you know, people ask me, oh, Pastor, you've gone all over the world. How do, you, how do you know that God wants you to go? Because God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Oh, yeah, but do you, do you have a, a direction of God? Yes, he didn't say no, so that means go. So I was all ready. I was packed up. I was just a couple weeks away from going and doing this pastor's conference. I'm, I'm the keynote speaker. I'm supposed to stay in this wonderful hotel and have this conference in this one particular area. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm praying, and I'm just seeking God. I'm just thanking God, preparing for it. And God, just like I'm speaking to you, and said, no, don't go. Now understand, I've gone all over the world. I've almost died in other countries, literally almost died, and I have never had God tell me no any time in my life other than this one time. I said, okay. So I'm praying again. I'm thinking it might be bad pizza. I might be having an upset stomach or something, so I'm praying. And, and all of a sudden, just as clear as a bell, God said, don't go. So I called the people, and they were really upset because I was the speaker. I was the main dude. They had other guys, but nobody else was going to be the main speaker, so they had to cancel the conference. Well, the week I was supposed to be there, they had the worst Islamic jihadist terrorist attack in India's history in Bombay. The hotel I was staying in, didn't exist anymore because that was the point of their destruction. It was an American hotel. They blew the hotel up. I wouldn't be preaching today if I didn't listen to, say, listen to hear God say, no, don't go. I don't look for yeses because my Bible's full of yeses. I look for noes. I say that to say this. It's not a new war. But when Israel became a nation, it took the war world wide can you say amen so let me take you into some things that are going to happen very quickly just a few years ago for the first time in over 2,000 years they have the sacrificial altar rebuilt I don't know if you followed your news but just a few weeks ago they sacrificed the paschal goat which is the temporal goat the basically like the scapegoat to begin the possibility and they sacrificed it right in jerusalem they have the picture go out and look it's called the paschal goat it's p-a-s-c-a-l they sacrificed it in preparation for the coming temple they have the sacrifice altar I'm going to show you a video clip that I actually showed here two years ago, but I'm going to show you how close we are to the temple being rebuilt. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Every piece of the priestly garments are completely ready. The 71 Levites that will do and perform the sacrificial offerings every single day, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, they are already retrained and ready. The priestly uh, 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 implements, the sacrifice, the menorah. My wife and I and several of us that went to Israel uh, uh, about 3 years ago from this church, 2 years ago from this church, we stood outside looking at the dome of the rock, the a mosque which is the rock that covers they believe it's the it's the rock that they offered sacrifice of abraham on to abraham and isaac but they also believe they have no proof of this but the muslims believe that abraham that uh excuse me muhammad was flying by one day and his horse got tired and, and touched the rock before he took off into heaven so that's why they built the mosque go figure we were standing there and looking at this almost a hundred pounds of solid gold menorah that has been built for the first time in thousands of years. And they had it sitting right on the hill overlooking the, the Temple Mount. You know why? We were there and several of the uh, Israeli people that were there and our host said, do you know why they put it here? To let the Muslims know the temple is a coming. They're done. I already talked about the 71 rabbis. The reconvening of the Sanhedrin for the first time in almost 2,000 years are already gathered together. This has been done since 2005. What remains? Build it. And dedicate it. This is a little bit long on a video, but I want you to listen to it and watch it. Go ahead, Chris, if you could start it. I showed this a couple years ago, so you might remember it. But if not, pay close attention well, to what June it is. On June 7th in 1967, Israeli forces captured the city of Jerusalem in what was called the Six-Day War. After nearly 2,000 years of exile, the Jewish people were close to their dream of a new temple. But that dream lasted just a few days. The Temple Mount was later returned to Muslim authorities, and four decades later, Jews are still forbidden to worship there. But that hasn't stopped some people from making plans to build the next temple. Here's Chris Mitchell in Jerusalem. We dreamed to come back to this place, to the Temple Mount, to meet again our God. The Temple Mount is the seat of God, the place the Lord will choose. Every day, three times a day, Jews recite this prayer. May it be your will that the Temple be speedily rebuilt in our own time. It's a prayer they prayed for almost 2,000 years. But Jews here in Jerusalem are doing more than just praying. Just a few steps away from the Western Wall, rabbis and craftsmen are building what they call a temple in waiting. We're supposed to build a temple and nothing about that changed. Nothing about that commandment changed. Heim Richman is a director at the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. 
The Temple Institute is actively engaged in research and preparation for the resumption of the service in the Holy Temple to the extent of actually preparing operational blueprints for the construction of the temple according to the most modern standards. This menorah is just one of several vessels created for the next temple. It's covered with 95 pounds of pure gold and has a price tag of $2 million. Piece by piece, the third temple is taking shape with priest garments, vessels of copper, gold, and silver and a new generation of Levite priests, specially trained for temple service. We have enough in place now to resume the divine service and to, and to build the temple. But obviously, a lot of things have to happen in order for this to happen. Richmond isn't the only one who's ready to rebuild. You actually have blueprints, architectural oh, yes. drawings for the yes. third temple? 3,000 years after King Solomon built the first Jewish temple, Another Solomon is laying the foundations for the third. From the womb of my mother, I have a task and a mission in my life, which is connected um, with the rebirth of Israel. Gershon Solomon leads a group called the Temple Mount Faithful. They commissioned these cornerstones for the third temple. The six-ton stones were consecrated with water from the biblical pool of Siloam and cut with diamonds. And why God um, commanded us not to cut them by iron? Don't forget that these are stones for the house of God. They cannot be um, like other stones. For several years, Solomon and his followers tried to place the stones on the Temple Mount. And every year, they were stopped by Israeli police. Unfortunately, weakness of the Israeli leadership did not allow us to bring the cornerstone to the right place. The end time temple should be built on the same location of the first and the second temple. But that location is already occupied. The holiest site for Jews is also the third holiest site for Muslims and neither side is ready to share. The Temple Mount, 35 acres of it, is the most explosive piece of territory on the face of the planet. In 2002, Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat told an Arab newspaper that the Israelis found not a single stone proving that the Temple of Solomon was there because the temple was not in Palestine at all. The issue of the temple, it's, for, it's so sensitive. Dr. Yusuf Nache is in charge of tourism at the Dome of the Rock. Here's what he had to say when I asked him about the Jewish temple. It's not uh, an, an undeniable fact. It is theos. And the political situation, the misunderstanding, the mistrust distorted all the facts. That is stupid because the Arabs themselves, they call Jerusalem the place of the temple. And the golden dome right behind me, the dome of the rock, was built in order to replace uh, Solomon's temple. I think this temple denial is more serious than uh, the Holocaust denial. To counter this so-called temple denial, Gabriel Barkai is pushing the archaeological envelope. Muslim law forbids any digging on the mount itself. So instead, Barkai's digging through its trash. 
We have here the, uh, the entire history of the Temple Mount. He and his team are sifting through truckloads of debris, unearthed by bulldozers and discarded by Muslim authorities. So there, there could be artifacts in here going back to the first and second temple? And yes, there are, no doubt. Among their finds, a Babylonian arrowhead from the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And this 2,400-year-old Hebrew coin, the oldest ever minted in Jerusalem. Do you think in your lifetime there will ever be a time when, when you can actually uh, investigate what's under the Temple Mount? No, I don't. I'm very pessimistic about it. Some of the most dramatic traces of temple life have been unearthed here at the Western Wall. This street was part of the marketplace outside the Second Temple. On the walls, you can still see the marks from the fires that destroyed the temple in 70 A.D. And overturned stones still lying where they were thrown from the top of the Temple Mount by the armies of Rome. On one stone is a Hebrew inscription to the place of trumpeting. It's a set of ancient directions to the southwest corner of the temple where trumpeters announced the arrival of the Sabbath 2,000 years ago. Even more intriguing is the part of the Western Wall that's still underground. Amongst the courses of the Western Wall, I mean the line of stones which we have, this is the greatest and the most exciting one we have. Dan Bahat spent 40 years excavating the tunnels around the Temple Mount. And he says the most compelling case for the temple is yet to be discovered. I believe that behind this stone is a large arch which forms a storehouse, a big storehouse, which stored all the treasures of the temple. But we don't have till now anywhere where those treasures were. And the only possibility is that it must be subterranean somewhere around the Temple Mount. I believe that it might have been behind this wall. So here. do you think it's possible that the treasures are still there? Well, I hope so. Maybe in the future when it will be possible to dig, maybe we'll get to there. I say we, it must be my grandchildren, the earliest. But Bahat's interest in the temple is strictly in its past, not in its future. There is no chance whatsoever for the third temple. The third temple will be when the Messiah comes, and all, both of our Jews and Christians are waiting for him. So let us see when he comes what happens. It won't happen before. Rabbis for centuries did not understand this and in fact argued, well, are we supposed to build the temple and then the Messiah will come? Or are we supposed to wait and then the Messiah will build the temple? Again, I could hear the voice of God like he's speaking to all of us. I brought you here to build my house. Build my house. You say, Pastor, what is so important about rebuilding the temple? Because the Bible says, preceding the second coming of Christ, the temple will be rebuilt. Immediately, the Bible teaches us in the book of Zechariah, the book of Ezekiel, the book of uh, several different books in the Bible, that this is something that will transpire the rebuilding of God's temple. One of the things that we know that's going to happen, the church won't be here, but the Antichrist will set up his likeness, his image, to go into the temple. Now, let's look a little more newer. That was about three years ago, this video. In February of this year, President 
Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel said that we have an objective to go reclaim the Temple Mount. Remember in the video, the guy said it's tough to get the hierarchy involved in this. Well, he now has said that we have an objective to reclaim the Temple Mount. Other in the parliament in Israel have said this is a main objective of Israel, to reclaim the Temple Mount. Okay, so people say, Pastor, if it's so close, wouldn't we see a great swelling of support? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Zechariah once again that God is building that, that encouragement in the people to want the rebuilding of the temple. And as far back as 2009, 2010, two-thirds of Israel are ready for the temple to be rebuilt. The conflict, the indicator is Israel. That is the conflict of the world. That is the indicator of the end time clock. It is always revolved around Israel. Israel is God's time clock. So is this the end as we know it? All that is happening in the Middle East and in this country, our administration pulling back from their support of Israel are all signs and seasons of the Lord's imminent return. You say, Pastor, why? Because they would never be able, the Muslim countries, the countries opposed to Israel, as long as they knew America was a solid stalwart behind Israel, they would not raise a weapon. But because they know that it's weakened, that's why Gaza has started firing. That's why the other nations over there are starting to turn their face. Say, Pastor, is it really them? No, it's God turning the face. Here are three classic signs quickly that will show us that the end is even at the door. The church, America, the world are all threatened by the globalists, if you will, that are convincing America that the world has only one way to world peace. And that is to get rid of Israel and that is to get rid of the Christians, and that is to develop a new world order. I want to show you one more. I was talking about the, the hierarchies of uh, Israel. Look what was just in the newspaper. Could you put that clip up for me, Chris? In the times of Israel, look at the date, June 30th, 2012. The Jewish Home MK, that's one of the high-ranking people of Israel, calls for the third temple in Jerusalem. He says, it's time. This is June of this year. It is time. Uh, Zebulun Orlev advocates a basic law to protect, project, uh, pro to protect project from prosecution and the hostile left-wing secular media that is going to assault when this temple begins to be rebuilt. Joel chapter 3, listen to what it says. And I want you to pay close attention. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the valley of Jehoshaphat, we call today the valley of, of Megiddo, of Armageddon. It is the place of God's final judgment. There I will enter into judgment, listen to this, against all of those concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, for they scattered my people among the nations and they divided up my land. God says, I'm 
I'm going to meet all the nations of the world that came against Israel, that divided my land in the final judgment place called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, Armageddon, the place that will happen in the end times. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near to attack. Beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. Let the nation be the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and there I will sit in judgment of all the nations on every side. Talking about that great and dreadful day when the Lord will set up His final judgment. Three things that are going to happen that are happening even as we speak. The introduction of a one world government. There is a brand new thing. It's not actually brand new. It's about 20 years old, and it is just catching steam. And you will hear it. If you go to public council meetings, if you read uh, uh, any of the periodicals that have anything to do with, with city and, and county and, and governmental ordinances, you will find this one catchphrase. It's called Agenda 21. And if you want to read through it, there is one, ca- one, one phrase, and it. it is covered with global, uh, govern- global governance and globalization and all those words. But the there is one catchphrase you need to grab a hold of. It's called sustainable development. Literally, if I can put that down into common language, sustainable development means they are propagating the abortion movement. Why? Because they're trying to cap off world population. They're trying to control who and what lives on this earth. That's part of what's under the case of sustainable development. And if you notice, I just, it just blew my mind. The government has just grabbed another 10 million acres in Oregon, Washington, and Northern Cal- or Nor- Oregon and Northern California for the spotted owl. I guess this bird needs a lot of room. Now, folks, I'm a conservationist. I love animals. But come on. They don't need. That's on top of the other 20 million acres this bird already has. What they're doing is they're, through this sustainable development, is they're telling people now where they can buy, where they can build, because they're trying to move everybody closer to the city areas. Once again, it's a control. You say, oh, Pastor, you're a conspiracy. Go read it yourself. Go look it up. It's all right out on the Internet. It's all right out there. And, and you can say, well, I don't believe everything. I don't either. That's why I look into a whole bunch of different places. But Agenda 21, the extensive collapse, number two, of the ethical and moral values throughout society. Brothers and sisters, children are killing children today. Classmates are killing classmates. Employees are killing employees. Government promising change, yet we have criminals not held responsible for their behaviors because they might be poor or they might be coming from a broken, dysfunctional family or disadvantaged minorities. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 5, be careful those who call good evil and evil good. And lastly, the third thing is the weakening influence of the church and leaders in ethics and morals. Second Timothy says very plainly, preach the word. For the time is coming where they will not want to hear sound doctrine. In your notes, you see seminaries that are no longer advocating the very, the very principles of Christianity. Many seminaries don't teach the virgin birth anymore. They don't teach the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And 98% of them do not believe in the personal return of Christ to the church. What fuels this deception? 
Ladies and gentlemen, unbelief, ignorance, and fear. Unbelief simply because preachers will no longer preach sin in the pulpit. I'm not talking about every church. I'm talking about a large glut of churches. They will no longer preach on sin. Why? Because they have this PC, this politically correct gospel. Because of ignorance. There's no regular time. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because of fear. Fear of the unknown. Why? Because they don't know their Bibles. They don't know God's promises. This is why false doctrines and beliefs slip into the church. And finally, because of carnal Christians. Christians that profess godliness, but they deny his power in a changed life. I want to take you down to the book of Luke, if you would open your scripture there, please. There's a storm coming, and I want to share this as a a terse warning, admonishment to you and I as Christians. Luke 21 reads this way. When you see all these things begin to take place, when you see all this stuff happening at the same time, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away from the scene until all these things which have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And listen what it says. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. What day? The day of the Lord's return. Like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape the horrors that are coming on this earth and to stand before the Son of God. That sounds like we need to do something, doesn't it? Sounds like we need to make some conscious decisions about the life that we are living. Many become desensitized to Satan's evil plans. Things that once appalled us no longer bother us because they have become the norm. Commonplace. Life going on just as it always has. Knowing that his time is short and Satan will pull out temptations that you can never imagine... As the church spirals into moral relativism, very simply, the church is accepting the world because that's just what the world is. The problem is, is the world's getting into the church. You say, Pastor, how is that happening? Because you and I are not standing against it. We are not standing up and making the declaration of our faith because it's not convenient. Let me throw some things that I listed in your notes. We tolerate the killing of unborn children today, and we call it freedom of choice. Yes, even women in the church. It's my body after all. That's not what the Bible teaches. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. My heart breaks for the women who wind up pregnant because they have to deal with that course. It irritates me, the lazy, slothful, irresponsible boys that are involved in it. Did I say that straight enough? I could say a few other choice words, but I won't. 
We tolerate homosexuality, homosexuality and we call it diversity. Well, pastor, it's just an alternative nice lifestyle. God calls it abomination. Oh, that's all depends on your interpretation. No, it's just your acceptance. We tolerate paganism and call it multiculturalism. We tolerate the killing of the elderly or the sick. And we call it compassion. We tolerate religious segregation. And the name we call it is denominationalism. How long do we have? I found this article that was written in 1787 by Alexander Tyler. He was a Scottish history professor at the University of Edinburgh. And he had this to say about the fall of the Athenian Republic some 2,000 years earlier. And tell me if you don't see us in this anywhere. A democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will continue to exist until the time that voters discover they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. Hmm, We just had an election, didn't we? From that moment on, the majority always vote for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury. With the result that every democracy will finally collapse due to loose fiscal policy, which is always followed by dictatorship. You see, you can't pay for things when the money that you're taking the money, people, the people you're taking the money from don't have any money to pay for the stuff that you didn't buy anyway. Redistribution never has worked, folks, never will. What is the catchphrase today? You can't outvote Santa Claus or something. I'm, I just threw that out there. Just do with it whatever you want. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history have been about 200 years. During those 200 years, these nations have always progressed through this following sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from great courage to great liberty, from great liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and finally from dependence back into bondage. How long do we have? You decide. It looks to me like the end is even at the door. Can you say amen? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.